I'm sure I've mentioned before, of almost a sort of ever-decreasing circle. We always need bailouts. The example of the UK is that it's small fry so far, but as to the principle, it's more of the same. Why do we always need bailouts? Why does the Federal Reserve need a balance sheet of nine trillion? Why does the Bank of England need to spend another 8.8 billion so far? Why is it five trillion euros for the ECB? Why has the Bank of Japan never stopped? Because it's the same repeating cycle that it looks like, well, certainly in the first example, we're looking at my country, the Bank of England, where we're being, so it's like, um, I don't know if any of you are fans of the uh, band News, and they have a hit, Supermassive Black Hole. Well, it's like a supermassive black hole, and we just keep being sucked in. We can't get out. We can't escape, unless there's a real change, you know. Quite another film, Event Horizon. I don't know if people have seen the film Event Horizon. But the principle, again, of a black hole, the minute you trip over that, you're stuffed. Welcome back to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have returning guest, Mr. Sean Rickards. He is an economist and investment advisor, as well as a market analyst. And today, he's joining us to share his thoughts on the economy, the debt market, and a variety of other subjects. So, Sean, how are you doing, my friend? I'm well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you connecting with me on such short notice. Uh, as I mentioned before, we went live. Well, we've had a lot of great discussions before. And because you're based in London, England area, I thought, what? who better to talk to about the current situation with the pension fiasco as well as the Bank of England uh, seemed to be their pivot, if I can say that. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on where we're at and where we're heading. And uh, so just to start right off, uh, I guess, what's your current assessment on the UK debt market and you know wh- where we stand at this current moment? Well, there's various things here, but the background factor is the US dollar and US interest rates. It's put a squeeze in a lot of places and where there's a weakness, it's found it. For example, if we look to Japan, it's been the value of the Japanese yen. In the UK for a little bit, it was the pound, although the pound then recovered. And then as you came in with the thing, we've had the issue with the UK gilt market, which is what we call our bond market. There was a book originally that had a gold edge or gilt edge. That's why they're called that. And where we face trouble is, this is a result of all these years of virtually zero interest rates. So the US went down to virtually zero. So did the UK. We went down to 0.1. Some pension funds then had a problem because they rely on a flow of money and there wasn't any. So they did deals to hedge that. And people always hedge that against something they think isn't going to happen. And guess what? It did. And this is back. The US Federal Reserve obviously didn't do this deliberately because, well, for a start, it was a mistake. And Bank of England policy has been a mistake. But nonetheless, we are where we are. And so we arrived in a situation where what they thought wouldn't happen did. Now, I don't know if any of your viewers have traded options or things Something I used to do in a past life, I was a market maker. And what you don't want to be is short options, because basically then everything's wrong. And this is where the pensions fund found themselves. To hedge themselves, well, they have to sell the assets that the rest of their books again. So they're sort of selling themselves, if you like, to some extent, exactly what you don't want to be. Then if you do that and it gets better, you've done the wrong thing. If it gets worse... Well, you've still probably done the wrong thing. So you're, you're in a place you don't want to be, essentially. And um, this is what's played out. The Bank of England decided to intervene, which tactically I think is wise. People who have followed me in the past will know that strategically I think it's a mistake. But we are where we are. I don't think they had a great choice at the time. 
to look to try and stabilize it. So they've come in to buy ordinary gilt. So they did that last year, but they didn't actually do very much of that. All the hype, it was only 4.6 billion pounds. And I know that's a lot of money, but in the scheme of these things, it's not. Now they've changed slightly this week. In fact, today, they've actually bought index link gilts for the first time. So that's our inflation link security here. So for, again, for those that have in the States, roughly our equivalent of your tips, treasury inflation proof securities. And so that's a switch. Why have they done that? Well, some of the pension fund liability is index linked. Some of these are what we call defined benefit schemes. Someone gets a pension and it goes up with inflation. So they need to hedge that. So probably they should have done the index link bit at the beginning as well. But this is a first for the UK something different between us and yourselves. When the Federal Reserve stepped into American markets, it bought your equivalent. The Bank of England didn't. Never really explained why. My opinion is that they probably found it awkward because they're supposed to control inflation. And then if it went up, they'd ever be making a profit out of it. So there's the thing. Now, here's a real swerve for you, though. They've always liked buying inflation-linked bonds for their own pension fund. So that's where we are. And it's a bit awkward. I've been through these before for people that don't know. I worked in the guilt market for a long time and we have days like this. The US has them sometimes too, just not right now. Other countries are seeing it, but the UK is the most extreme. Why? I think it's partly because we have a big financial sector. People are on it. Um, the Bank of England made mistakes in its last meeting. It had to match the Fed. To my mind, if you're not the Fed, then your central bank policy is the minute you have to match it. I wrote earlier this year, for example, for the Bank of Canada, that I thought they had the simplest year. They just simply had to do what they thought the Fed would do. Well, we came to the point where the Bank of England should do the same, and it didn't. That was a mistake. Then the next day we had the UK mini budget. That was fiscally expansionary. So that set things off a bit. Um, and the issue here in Europe is because we've made such a mess of our energy policy, it's got incredibly expensive. So governments are stepping in to basically cover for their own mistakes. Of course, it's with our money, but nonetheless, that's what's happening. So that added to it. And all these things, it's like a snowball. Gathered a bit of things and then the pressure's on. When it, once it goes away, though, it will just completely disappear. It's one of those sort of things. Right. Now, I'm curious. I want to go back to the pension situation because I'm assuming with the Bank of England stepping in to basically... Uh, backstop the liquidation of the debt market that was impacting the pension system. Does that really reveal the true state or the true, true nature of the pension scheme itself is the fact that unless there's a con continuous support, then there's possibility that there's nothing really there, ultimately speaking? Uh, I, I don't think it's quite that far. I think that this is a function of simply that we had so low interest rates for so long. Now, how does that work for a pension scheme? Because the idea of any pension scheme, isn't it, someday in the future, you get more back than what you put in. Well, we've run for so long with no interest rates. They've tried to hedge. It's, although the Bank of England didn't buy UK inflation-linked gilts, they shot up in price too. So in essence, they were incredibly expensive. And here's a real irony. I don't know how much people will follow this. But in the recent inflation surge, the last thing you should have had was inflation-linked gilts because they were so expensive in the first place. And so the whole, because the market, this is like another bubble, if you like. Asset prices got pumped and pumped and pumped. And now we're facing the consequences of that. Funds try to survive in that environment. And now that we've returned to, well, actually, literally, 
Gilt yields at the minute are actually quite normal for the UK. We've returned to normal air, if you like, down from Mount Everest. And now they're struggling. They can't cope. And that's the problem, because people adjusted for them. As we've come to now. Now, some of this is happening in the US. Um, I follow some US bond traders and your own um, inflation-linked ones, over your 30-year bond. The real yield on that shot up the last few days. So I think people are starting to think, hang on. The Brits aren't entirely stupid. Some of these things are likely to be generic and it's happening here too. And I'm, I'm sure that will come around in other places. Right. Now, as a result of that activity, because I just want to really bring this home. And as a result of the intervention, the currency, you know, the British pound, you know, people on this side of the water was talking about parity, like, you know, the dollar and the British pound parity, just because it had dropped so low in the foreign exchange value. And then of course it's trending back up now, but I'm assuming that was that, was that a shock? Was that a, was that, that's a first of its kind in what, several, several decades. And so was yeah, that a shock? I'm not quite around for long enough in financial market times for the last time we were down at that sort of level. But it was a thing that people can, I have a friend that's a technical analysis. We've been, in fact, he was a friend of mine from my first job, and he was all signaling, oh, we'll go we're going back there. These things just, um, the ordinary person wouldn't get this, but if you work in a financial market, you get to feel the psychology after a while. So in the UK, was it a shock more generally? Yes. Um, was it likely to happen in a panic in the way that it did? Yes. Well, I mean, this was early Monday morning our time. The only places open were New Zealand or Australia. I think New Zealand was on a bank holiday, public holiday. So there was time they could take it down. And by the time most people woke up, we were on the way back up anyway. But nonetheless, yes. And again, back to my point, this has been a hard year for everyone who's not the US because the dollar has swamped everything. And in other things, the UK pound's been quite strong. For example, because I worked up there, I followed the pound against the yen. We're over 160 yen. That's a lot better than what we were. So we've held there. We've lost a bit of ground against the euro, but our performance in other ways has been quite similar. But it hurts. Why? Because when we go out to buy so many things, they're in dollars. When we buy oil, it's in dollars. When we buy cotton, it's in dollars. When we buy copper, it's in dollars. Almost any, you know, anything you try and pick. And so that's a thing that affects us in a way that the US doesn't. And the US doesn't bother about that much. US Federal Reserve doesn't. It may have to if things get so bad elsewhere that it's forced to. But that's the only way the Fed ever, in my opinion, ever really follows what's going on abroad. But yes, it's, it's a big deal because that's the thing. And this is happening all over the world. If you look around, I saw a thing at the same time the UK was buying gilt. The Reserve Bank of India was in trying to stop the rupee at 80. And it was 82 at that point. So you could see how that was going. And um, that's the thing. It's been a real turning of the screw all year. And around the world, we're struggling to cope with it, frankly. So as of now, it basically looks like the Bank of England just is further kicking a can down the road, trying to prolong the inevitable at some point. But then as a result of all this, I guess, the global central bank tightening, uh, I guess, is the, the Bank of England kind of the, the, the first bank to break or pivot or to show that they really can't tighten the way that they initially thought they could? Or do they know all along they really couldn't tighten, in your opinion? That's a really good question. You see, if they're actually, I'm a believer in dealing with inflation. But you see, that means I would have raised interest rates last year. So therefore, I, I don't think they are believers because they didn't in any scale. And so now I think they've been forced to respond 
And one of the problems to my line of thinking that we have is here, you're out of phase. What do I mean? You raise interest rates to have an effect 18 months later. So you've got to get in early, very early. You've got to get in at the beginning of the cycle. Whereas in fact, they've waited there, whether this is the peak, I don't know, but inflation's now very high anyway. And now they're trying to respond. Well, for various reasons, one of them being energy prices, I know they've gone up in the US, they're a lot higher here. Next year could be a really rough year and we head the other way. So this is the sort of mess, in my opinion, the central banks have got into. They've done it too late. They're now trying to do it in a rush. And this has squeezed things in a lot of areas and created the problem. Whether this will do much for inflation, well, for some of it, it will. But for the issue of energy prices, you know, how is it going to deal with the Russian-Ukraine issue or something like that? It's not, is it? Um, you know, they're separate issues. And again, less of an issue of the US because of your resources. But in Europe, we've made a dreadful error with energy policy. And that's one of the things we're paying for. And it might be an odd connection from energy policy to pensions, but I think that's true. Again, we've put pressure on ourselves. And if you like, the weakest link or one of the weaker links is starting to creep. Now, I'm, I want to pivot to the EU and the banking events that's, I guess, unfolding there. And so I've noticed you did a good job of writing about that. So we got, I guess, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, and uh, a variety of other banks, primarily the globally systemic important banks. They're all having some issues right now. And so is there an event brewing right now in the banking sector that has yet to really surface? Or is it is it obvious that there are some issues that's around or just not publicized as of yet? Well, you see, now should be the time they're making hay because banks need interest rates. Mm-hmm. Now, we have some. Now, to, to some extent, they're still... It's only three quarters of a percent in Europe, not much. But the banks you've just quoted, Credit Suisse, Deutsche, are international things. So they should be making a lot of money in the US. They should be making some money in the UK, Canada, Australia, so on. Yeah, the share price is struggling. And when I looked at it earlier this week, because full disclosure here, Deutsche used to be my employer. It was only eight euros. It was 14 euros earlier this year. In the big panic, it went to around about five euros. So it's not a lot above that in the scheme of things. And they are still struggling. Because we're back to the issue of how do banks make money? Well, generally, they need interest rate. Okay, we've got that. But now what's everyone afraid of? Well, the mortgage market. I know it's an issue in the US, people talking about 7% mortgage rates. Issue here in the UK, 6%. So I think on um, Germany this week, 4% mortgage rates. That feels high to them. It's a lot higher than what they were, because remember, they had negative interest rates, negative bond yields. Couldn't have been much more favourable. So that's what's putting the squeeze. This time round, again, because of the shift from... Well, in, in their instance, negative interest rates for the Swiss and Germans to more positive ones now. And the speed of it, that's turning the screw on them as well. Now, where this will pop up, I don't know. Is Credit Suisse going to fold tomorrow? I think some of those stories were exaggerated, and I think some of the people then withdrew or deleted them. But the fundamental issue of banks making money is one. And there's a thing that pops up. The world's oldest bank, Monte Dei Pasci, if I pronounce that right. Um, of Italy, another cash call. That's the seventh, I think. And it, it just feels endless. And the reason it feels endless is it is because the original problems were never sorted out. And so on and on and on it goes. And, and this is the story of so much of it. They should be doing well now. The UK banks, the whole lot, but still people don't want to buy their shares. They don't want to back them. 
for the same reasons they think, well, hang on, there are also things about to go wrong. So that's the issue. And of course, for all the international banks, this is a thing, the US ones, ourselves, that you might trip up somewhere else around the world because there's a lot going on there and a lot of changes. Now, I'm curious, uh, with all that that you just shared, the depositors' funds. And so we had a test run eight years ago or, or more in Cyprus with bailing in depositors' funds to provide the, you know, the cushion and capital for the banking structure. C- could that be something in the future that might be used as an emergency measure? Or will the central banks have to come in one by one and help out? Or, or what are you thinking? Well, on the next real slowdown, my theory is that we'll get central bank digital coins. Why do I fear that? Because that's the way they'll impose even lower negative interest rates. There's a reason why the European Central Bank stopped at minus a half. And actually, the Swiss National Bank is slightly different. I'll put that to one side because that was currency driven. But the European Central Bank stopped at minus a half because it was afraid of a run on the banks. It didn't know exactly where, nor do I. I figured it's probably somewhere between minus one and minus two, but I don't know that. No one's got there. And then they'd have a real disaster because central banks control the monetary system via the other banks. So they don't want that. So they didn't go there and kept away from it. Digital coiner brings it under their control. So they can then take interest rates lower. And there was an IMF paper, International Monetary Fund, that looked at this thing and you'd have $100, £100, doesn't matter. But at the end of the year, you'd have to exchange it for 97 new ones. So they were taking 3% off you a year without saying it. And that's how they impose it. Because in that scenario, you have no way out. They have an iron grip on the system. They have it from one end to the other. And if you want to go and spend money officially, then it has to be that way so they can impose it. And this is back to the thing of, um, that I'm sure I've mentioned before, of almost a sort of ever-decreasing circle. We always need bailouts. The example in the UK is that it's small fry so far. But as to the principle, it's more of the same. Why do we always need bailouts? Why does the Federal Reserve need a balance sheet of nine trillion? Why does the Bank of England need to spend another eight point eight billion so far? Why is it five trillion euros for the ECB? Why has the Bank of Japan never stopped? Because it's the same repeating cycle. That it looks like, well, certainly in the first example, we're looking at my country, the Bank of England, where we're being so it's like um I don't know if any of you are fans of the uh, band news and they have a hit supermassive black hole. Well, it's like a supermassive black hole and we just keep being sucked in. We can't get out. We can't get out. We can't escape unless there's a real change, you know. Mm. Quite another film, Event Horizon. I don't know if people have seen the film Event Horizon. But the principle, again, of a black hole, the minute you trip over that, you're stuffed. So just to kind of reiterate a little bit what you said or what I heard on your end is that because uh, we remember when we talked last time, you mentioned negative rates. And so could you so are you seeing a, a point in time where the banks, they everything eventually breaks and they're forced to go negative and in doing so, then that's when they roll out the CBDC format is kind of like the is what you're saying as a possible scenario, perhaps CBDC would have to come first, come first. OK. Them. So they'll, pre- they'll present it as being to your benefit. You'll have the money with the central bank. It'll be safe. What could go wrong? Then once they've got you, then, oh, look, mm. they're, they're doing this now. Again, it's for your benefit. 
Right. It's a bit like George Orwell's 1984, where the chocolate ration was improved from four ounces to two ounces. And I did say that right. And that's <laughs> the issue. Ooh, okay. Um, that's, uh, man, that's something to really digest and chew on. Um, so at this current moment, uh, the problems are obvious. Solutions, strategies. A lot of people are concerned about their financial futures now. Of course, with a lot of this tightening over here, the Fed is talking about job losses being a part of that as a result of bringing inflation down and all those narratives they're trying to sell us on. But, you know, in people's pockets, they're starting to feel the pinch. How do people, in your opinion, protect themselves, preserve them, their, their future wealth, Give us some strategies, some tips, and some things to really hone in on or further research for ourselves. Well, one of the things to look at are your own inflation-linked bonds. Most people have lost money in them. For a new buyer, the same thing that I was quoting before, chart I was looking at earlier, shows that they actually offer a real yield now. Many people may not have heard of them. That's something to consider. Because at the minute, there's cash give you nothing when you can get an interest rate. Shares, I think, are more difficult. Equities, however you want to put it. Because if we're going to see a slowdown, how are they doing so well? You know, relatively. So I think that that would be... And maybe a game for bonds outright. It may sound insane because even so, you know, what's the US 10-year? Just slightly under 4%. It's not a lot compared to inflation. But if they start panicking next year and we see that interest rates come back down, it might be a return out of them, as mad as that might sound. So that, that's the scenario that we're in. I mean, from the US point of view, <clears throat> as I explained earlier, I think you're relatively fortunate. Mm. A lot of the pressure elsewhere isn't that. You have less energy pressure and you have the reserve currency, the US dollar. It's worse everywhere else for the other two reasons. So the reserve currency status that we have now in the US, you know, that's, that's to our advantage but then again, it itself has to be temporary. It can't last forever, I'd assume, or or what? Does anything out of the Eastern events with China, Russia, and all the developments of those entities out there, could that somehow impact or challenge the well, dollar status in the future? Well, the whole game of also um, foreign economy struggling is not good for the U.S. U.S. pro rata doesn't trade an enormous amount, but nonetheless, people do. So there'll be an impact on them and for that. Um, for these other issues, they're trying to replace the US dollar. But at the minute, as I've explained, the US dollar has got stronger. Now, whether that's a temporary phase and later it will go, is harder to say. But I've seen so many people forecast its demise. And as I've just been explaining, in fact, the story of a lot of our interview today is how strong the dollar is and its impact as it's bounced around the world. People, it's, it's, people know what it is. Anywhere in the world you'd go. Yeah probably know what a euro is there's a fair chance they'd know what the pound and yen are once you start going beyond that it'll be a lot weaker unless china's actively there it would really know what a yuan is probably and so on as you go further down the list and so that's the situation for something to replace it needs to make a list so they're trying to force things you know russia china trading in rubles yeah, whatever it might be but there's the problem of people knowing what it is doesn't matter if you're in the desert somewhere, top of Everest, in the Arctic. Someone will know what a dollar is and roughly have an idea what it's worth. And in a lot of places, I see it because um, I look at monetary policy, it's say countries that are in trouble. What do they grab? They mostly grab the US dollar. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sure there are trades going on in Turkey and US dollars and Argentina. I'm sure it's illegal as hell in Venezuela because of the political situation, but I'm also sure people will be using it. Why? Because they know what it means in general and can use it somewhere. You could turn up with $100 in your pocket and spend it. Turn up with something else, people might go, what's that? Isn't it? It's as simple as that. So, right. yes, there are things that have made it weaker, you'd think, and people are actively trying to make it weaker right now, but so far it hasn't worked. So there's still a use case. There's still a use case for the dollar. So uh, definitely will be utilized, and as you mentioned, it's world recognized. So that's another thing. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. Last question before we wrap things up: uh, gold and silver. Um, how? Because I saw articles coming out of the UK saying that you know people are rushing to get gold and silver due to the currency situation there. And is that just uh, a, a, a short-term scare tactic that was published there via news, or are more people now starting to wake up to the real role and safety of? only precious metals or sound well, money. Well, I mean, there has been a game because whilst gold and silver, I know there's been a silver squeeze recently, but gold and silver are disappointed, say, against inflation. Remember, again, from our point of view, because it's priced in dollars, mm-hmm. actually, you've sort of, it can be a currency hedge of some sort, apart from its price move, because you would have gained this year, well, would you gain the most, say, if you were Japanese, mm-hmm. from the end point of view, because you'd have got out the currency for UK, true. So there's that strength for them, the people abroad. Um, but as I said, that's to me, it's, it's an each way coin because have they operated for inflation? No. For the rest of us, have they been a currency hedge? Yes. And that's the way I look at it. Um, uh, this thing of situation of sales and it being held down, the story goes on forever, doesn't it? I mean, I, for, again, for big viewers that don't know, I spend a lot of my time in futures market. It's slightly uncomfortable. I'm shuffling deliberately in my seat over here on the idea of a futures market and COMEX not working. But there have been so many stories over the years, the numbers being right. For those that don't know, a lot of the world's gold central banks is held a few miles from me, the Bank of England, central London, in the same way as Fort Knox or whatever. And there are all sorts of stories that some of them are tungsten inside and only gold sprayed and so on. And who's ever going to get to the bottom of that? That's the problem. You know, and as a monetary system, um, the weakness I have with that is that it's fixed. Now, I know people like Bitcoin, it's fixed, and I know that works against inflation, but hopefully we'll have some growth at some point. And also those that are fans of um, the novels of Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote 2001. In 2061, we get out to around Jupiter, and there's a whole load of financial market manipulation around the fact that one of the mountains is made of diamonds. So, you know, it's never ever quite as simple as you might think. And of course, we know we're getting there yet, but who knows one day. Right. <laughs> well, Sean Richards, Matt, as always, it's great to connect with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your you know, analysis, thoughts and opinions on what's going on and uh, just clarifying a little bit more on the whole situation in the UK and definitely wishing you guys the best. And of course, we're all in the same boat in a sense, but uh, just best thing we can do is continue to pray, just do the best we can to invest wisely and uh, move forward and just uh, yeah, enjoy this current moment, man. But can you point back to where people can find out more about you and plug in with what you're what you're currently up to? Yes, certainly. A blogger is not a yes man's economic, so I can be found there. And I'm on Twitter, a slightly shorter version, not a yes manicon. That's all the letters you're allowed, so I couldn't finish my name off. But Sean Richards, I can be found under that. If you just simply Google Sean Richards, I'll probably come up. 
Sounds good. Well, once again, Sean, thank you for joining us RT interviews. Definitely looking forward to connecting with you later in the year, perhaps next year, and we'll see where we're at, at that time. And hopefully things are a lot better <laughs> than yes. they are now. But uh, thanks for joining us on RTD interviews. Thank you.